LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. And I think as a young leader, you know, you get too focused on the end game. You're, you're looking around at guys that are 30 years older than you, 40 years, 50 years down the road going, I got to be like that. I got to get there. I got to do that. I got to have what they have. Instead of going, wow, I just have to walk with God today, take the next step today and follow him today and trust that he's going to put me where he wants me to be. Well, welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I am your host, Chandler Vinoy, here with my co-host, Josh Hunter. And Josh, I'm so excited about who we have today. Who is that? I'm pretty pumped, too. We have Louis Giglio here with us today, who is the pastor of Passion City Church, the founder of this little movement you might be familiar with called Passion, and the author of many, many books, including his latest, Not Forsaken, which just released about a month ago. But Louis, how are you doing today, man? We're so excited to have you on the podcast. Hey, Chandler. Hey, Josh. It's so great to be on with you guys. Thanks for having me. Man, we, we're just, we're, we're so glad you say yes, and we're just excited to talk to you. <laughs> so uh, the, the pleasure is ours. Um, hey, I want to say too, I've loved the Insta stories you've been doing lately with some chapters from Not Forsaken. I've never seen that done before. It's been really cool. Well, thank you. You know, I feel like I've got, we were talking offline right before we jumped on here about Levi Lesko, and so I got to give credit where credit's due. Levi did that on his latest book. I saw it, thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> so we stole it from him and actually had his team work on it for us. Oh, wow. So I was just out with him a few days ago and able to thank him and them. And it's a cool idea. And then he told me, well, I actually saw, and I won't name who, so-and-so do it. Uh, so it's a very, very, very good use of Insta Story for my money. And I'm really glad I saw his and super creative and I'm glad you guys liked it. Hey, I love it. Work smarter, not harder. That's uh borrow brilliance where it <laughs> yeah, is. Borrow brilliance. And give credit where credit is due. <laughs> yes. That's the whole podcast right there. Yeah, there you go. Done. You. And we're done. But, um, um, you know, there's something called giving credit to others. And um, that was a great idea on their part. And they helped us make it super cool. Well, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that with us. Before we get jumped into the questions, though, I would love to hear a little bit about Not Forsaken, and I know listeners would as well. It's a, it's everywhere. A lot of people are talking about it. Could you give us just a brief overview and tell us your heart behind your new book? Yeah, thanks for asking. You know, I feel like Not Forsaken is a life message for me. It's one of those messages I've honestly been sharing for probably 30 years in some format. And finally, uh, just really, really felt encouraged by the Lord that now's the time to put it in book form and let it travel to a little bit wider audience. The book is about a revolution. It's about a revolutionary new way to see God. And when I say this, it's not going to sound revolutionary, but to experience it is the revolution. And the whole premise of the book is that God wants us to know him and relate to him, do life with him as a perfect father that he's inviting us, this almighty, sovereign, infinite creator is inviting us into the most intimate relationship possible. And that is as a love daughter or a love son of a perfect father. And this is the axiom of uh, A.W. Tozer when he said, the most important thing about us is what we think about or what comes into our minds when we think about God. So getting the right image, the right concept, the right target, if you will, 
uh, is Im- imperative for us and to help people see God as a perfect father. That's the beauty. Uh, the problem is that a lot of people see God like a bigger version of their own father. Hmm. And that's not a helpful paradigm for them. And so a lot of people have told me over the years, hey, if God's a father and if he's like my dad, then I'm not interested. And to be able to come back in a very kind way and say, man, this is the good news. God's not the reflection of your earthly father. Mm. He's the perfection of your earthly father. And you can know a blessing like you've never known on earth every single day of your life from this perfect father. And so I think it's uh, maybe the most important message of our time to help move the fatherless generation. That's not my word. That's sort of the culture tag. Uh, into a fathered generation. And I believe when that happens in somebody's life, everything changes. So I'm pumped about the book. It's not the easiest process to go through (laughs) if you had a broken relationship with your dad, but it is a healing process. And I believe it's going to start an amazing revolution in the lives of people all over the world. Well, what a timely message that is. And thank you for writing uh, taking the time to to take what was on your heart over the past 30 years and put it into a resource that many can can sh- uh, read in and to share with others. So if you have not checked the book out, you need to do so, listeners. Uh, now, let's go ahead and hop into the questions here, Louis. Um, I know for both Josh and I, the passion movement has been something that has impacted our lives. And God has used that movement to impact so many other young men and women. So can you walk us through a quick overview of the different leadership roles you've been in over the years that have led up to the passion movement and now where you are as the pastor of Passion City? Yeah, I wish I could like break it down um, in a real tight way, guys. But, you know, for me, it's been about calling. And um, I'll try to flesh that out in a short answer. But um, God called me very dramatically when I was a freshman in college to preach the gospel. I didn't know much about what that meant. It was 1976, 77. So I know that sounds like an eon ago. But if you rewind the ministry clock back to 1977, even the culture clock back to 1977, ministry looked like being a pastor, a senior pastor, an associate pastor, a missions director, a youth minister, or an evangelist. So when God called you into ministry, you had to look at those boxes and decide which right. one you wanted. That was it. Right. And I looked at those boxes and I was like, man, this call in my life is dramatic, but one of those boxes doesn't seem to ring the bell for me. So I just started pursuing God. I was in college. I had time. I had four years. Uh, ended up being six beautiful years in college. <laughs> um, I'm going to grad school. So I had three years at seminary. So I roughly had nine years to sort of figure this thing out. And interestingly, the day I graduated from seminary, I still had no clearer picture of which of those boxes I was supposed to go in than the day God called me into ministry. And so I did a a smart thing. I just followed the leading of the Holy Spirit in my life, and I took the next step. And the next step for me was grad school at Baylor, another grad degree. And this is a great leadership axiom. When you don't know what to do, (laughs) do another grad degree. (laughs) There you go. And um, that's only half true because I went to do this grad degree because my future wife was finishing undergrad at the place where I was interested in doing this grad degree. And so I ended up at Baylor University doing another graduate degree, not thinking anything about it. But um, in the last few days of the summer before I started that first year at Baylor, 
at a college retreat with college students that I'd been their summer college intern in Houston, Texas. Okay, so I'm a high flyer at this point. I'm a summer <laughs> college intern for 90 college students. But one of them looks at me, who's a Baylor student, and she says one sentence to me that changed the next decade of my life and maybe my whole life. She said, you know, Louie, God is bringing you to Baylor for a reason. That was it. And the reason obviously wasn't to be in the same town as Shelly. We'd been dating two years. I'd spent every weekend in Waco for the last two years. It wasn't to get uh, a degree in church state studies. It wasn't more graduate study. The reason God was bringing me to Baylor was for an assignment to see a spiritual awakening happen on the largest Baptist university campus in the world, a place that at that time was steeped in religion, but was woefully lacking the revolution of relationship with Jesus. Mm. And as soon as Kay Dossie spoke that sentence, I knew why I was going to Baylor. We started praying in my apartment when I got there, me and six students. A month later, we started a Bible study in an apartment clubhouse. Uh, 45 college students showed up on the first Monday night that we met. But 10 years later, 1,545 Baylor students were coming to that Bible study every Monday night. More than 10% of the student body population of the school. Wow. And God set us on a path. And uh, my friends were like, hey, why are you doing this dumb Bible study at Baylor? You're supposed to be like a pastor of a church and <laughs> yeah. you're supposed to be moving up the church ladder. And from the little church in the small town to the medium church and the medium town to the large church and the large town to the mega church and the city, you've got gifts and talents. And everybody was telling me this, man, you got ability. You can communicate. Why are you at this little Bible study in this apartment clubhouse at Baylor? And I said, because God put me here. Mm. And guys, that's my, that's my journey. You know, my roles I've had since then, all the same. Uh, leadership is communicating vision, trying to marshal people in a direction, uh, reminding them why God's calling them to what he's calling them to, helping them endure the valleys and take the hills. And so we did that at Baylor. Um, all that ended through a really tragic circumstance with my dad's health and ultimately his death. That brought my wife and I to Atlanta, where we had no job, no purpose, and no nothing until God dropped a vision in our lap one day. That vision turned out to be passion, and 23 years later, I'm actually still doing the same thing I was doing at Baylor <laughs> the day before, and that is taking the next step and trying to follow the Spirit into the next step. Ten years ago, that step was Passion City Church. Um, 19, 20 years ago, that step was a record label called Six Steps Records. Um, I'm just trying to take the next step with God. And in the process of that, uh, leadership for me has looked like preaching to a bunch of people. It's also looked like setting up the chairs and making sure the room was ready for people to arrive. And I've done everything in between and I've loved every bit of it. Man, that's thank you for sharing all that. Uh, maybe even being a door holder too, right? You know, setting up <laughs> chairs and, and holding doors. I uh, read a book recently by Emily P. Freeman, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with her or not, Louie, but she wrote a book called The Next Right Thing. 
And for people struggling in seasons of life, hey, what's next? What do I do? How do I find my calling or what God's calling me to? And sometimes the the next best thing to do is the next right step, the next right thing. And so just taking those moments and uh, trusting the Lord and leaning on the spirit to do that and uh, going to do the next right thing. And it really sounds like you kind of did it backwards, right? You didn't, with the, the checklist of, okay, I got to be a student pastor and then transition to college pastor, then transition to senior pastor. You kind of did it a little bit backwards. Because you're you act as a senior pastor now, but you started with a Bible study, um, and you just now in the past several years been a senior pastor. And uh, man, really cool story. And you mentioned uh, in Waco some of the tragedy that happened in your family. But when you wrote Not Forsaken, based on you wrote it based on your own experience with pain and healing. Can you share more about that and how that has made you into the leader that you are today? Well, I think every great leader has to go through the fire, and a lot of people disagree with this statement, but I I feel like it's pretty accurate biblically. Tozer also said, God can't use a man greatly until he wounds him deeply. I don't think that means that God wants to hurt us, but I know that the moment God used his son the most in my life and in the life of history was the moment where he bled and died on a cross for us. And I think that unless we have been through the valley and understand deep pain and hurt, then it's really not going to be possible for us to lead people in a broken world. And probably the greatest pain I went through and have been through in life was my dad's disability. It was a sudden overnight disability where he went from being a genius one day to being mentally and physically disabled the next day and he never went back to work. He never drove a car. He never dressed himself, fed himself, bathed himself. And for seven years, that was my family's life. Seven years of it, I was 650, 900 miles away. I don't know what the distance is from Atlanta to Waco. Um, And my mom was here taking care of my dad 24-7. And uh, my dad went through several brain surgeries. My dad went through rehabs. My dad went through falls and breaks and setbacks. And It was just a very, very, very difficult and painful journey until the day my dad died of a heart attack um, on a Friday, April 28th, 1995. And I think that whole process for me was the reality of believing in a great sovereign God of all power, but yet not seeing much change in the natural, praying, praying, praying. And I can tell you more times than not, the more we prayed, the worse it got. Hmm. Not the more we prayed, the better it got. The more we prayed, the harder the situation became, not the better. And at the end of it, my dad died. My dad didn't have a vibrant relationship with Jesus. There wasn't a bow on the end of our story. There wasn't a great sermon illustration ending. Uh, It was just painful and difficult and hard. And so I I obviously didn't want to go through that. I wouldn't wish anyone to go through that. But I learned more about my faith and more about the faithfulness of God going through that valley than anything else in my life. And I believe more than any degrees or any education or understanding or experience or, you know, internships or whatever. I think that valley probably set me up to do what I'm doing today more than anything else. And so I talk a lot about my dad and I in the book. My dad was a good dad. He wasn't perfect, but he was a really good dad to my sister and me, especially given that he had no relationship with his dad and never received a father's blessing, felt unwanted and unloved his whole life, even to the very end, and didn't believe God loved him and didn't believe God wanted him either. 
And so we had our ups and downs for sure. And uh, especially around faith, when I told my dad that the Lord was calling me to be a preacher, it was a pretty awkward chapter of life for us. Uh, but we did get some redemption in that um, a decade later. And I know my dad's proud of me, even though he's been gone for a long time. And he got to see me preach and he got to see me operate in the gifts that God's given me. And he affirmed me so much in that. And I have that carry that with me every day. Yeah. And the logo of this podcast is an, is an iceberg and you know, people only see the portion that is above the sea level. And, and Louis, thank you for sharing that because that is truly what is below the surface. Um, that, you know, you went through those experiences, God brought you through that valley to, to mold you into who you are today. And that's, that's helpful for us to hear. And then thank you for sharing that. Uh, moving on to the next question, stepping into to ministry, stepping into leadership, even even down in Waco, even in passion, what was your biggest mistake as a leader getting started? Um, you know, I don't. I think the big mistake leaders make when they're starting and in the middle and at the end is that they really do believe they're leading something and doing something great. I think reading your own press and reading your own headlines, um, it's it really is the detriment to being the kind of leader that Jesus calls us to be. And you don't have to be uh, running a big organization for that to be true. Some of the most arrogant leaders I've ever met uh, are leading churches of 627 people. <laughs> and I just, I, I'm around them and I'm like, I, I cannot believe how prideful you are and how self-focused you are and how me-centric you are. And it's not about the size of their ministry. It's about the, the, I think the amount of time they're spending, we are spending reading our own headlines. And um, once you do that, no matter where you are, front end of ministry or back end of ministry, you're sunk because all of us are susceptible to um, to pride and to fame. And um, it is a you know sickness that's a part of the broken human condition. And so if God elevates you, praise God, but man, you better be careful and you better not spend too much time, you know, staring at yourself in the mirror and um, talking about how great God has elevated you because it just distracts us from the heart of service and the heart of humility. And I always say to people, humility is probably the greatest um, character trait uh, of leadership. And, and it's not a character that you can learn. It's, you can't go to a class called, mm -hmm. I want to be more humble. You can't, you read a book that says uh, six steps to humility. Humility is a byproduct of being in the presence of almighty God. I say humility is the byproduct of walking with Jesus. Cause when you walk with Jesus, you realize he's everything and you're just blessed to be there. And then you walk away from those encounters or into other encounters from those encounters with Jesus. And you're like, I, I'm not the center of the universe. I was with him earlier today. In fact, I was with him right before I walked into this meeting. And when I saw him, I was on my knees. I wasn't on standing up on the table. When I saw him, I was grateful. I wasn't prideful. When I saw him, I was thankful and I wasn't complaining as much. And so it's just a byproduct of our relationship and our intimacy, the proximity we have to the King of Kings that creates a humility, a natural humility, not false humility, but a natural humility of heart that says, yes, I'm gifted. And yes, God has called me. And yes, he's given me some abilities, but I'm in a great God story that is not about me. 
and I'm happy to be in it. I'm thrilled that I got invited into this story. And I think as a young leader, you know, you get too focused on the end game. You're, you're looking around yep. at guys that are 30 years older than you, 40 yep. years, 50 years down the road going, I got to be like that. I got to get there. I got to do that. I got to have what they have. Instead of going, wow, I just have to walk with God today, take the next step today and follow him today and trust that he's going to put me where he wants me to be. And this is the, the beauty that you learn over time. And I think the striving, you know, diminishes the older you get because you realize, wow, I'm where I am because God put me here. And if someone asked me today, Louis, can you tell me how to get to the point you're at? I honestly, <laughs> not like false pridely, but I honestly would say I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea how I got here. I just kept taking the next step. And um, I never had a brochure. I've, I've never sent out a marketing material. I never ask anybody to invite me to speak anywhere. And God has taken me all around the world. How is that possible? I have no idea, except that you, you walk into the environments that he puts you in, he uses you and I uh, have a great agent, the Holy Spirit. He knows most people That's in ministry good. and he puts me where he wants me to be and connects me to the things he wants to connect me to. That's good. I think you might've answered it a little bit through what you were just saying, but when you were starting out, right, you were leading the Bible study, things started growing, the flywheel started turning and you started to become um, more famous. People started knowing your name. It wasn't just a, um, you know, in ministry circles anymore. It was becoming more of a household name and then passion started. And so you're, you are well known, but what did you do in the beginning to fight some of that tendency, maybe that temptation um, of, man, let me read my own press. Uh, I'm kind of want to believe in my own press. I want to believe what people are saying about me. So to young leaders now, Louie, what are some practices that you can tell them to young leaders that are starting to gain some of that notoriety and the flywheel starting to turn for them? What is your advice to them coming through? Because you deal with a lot of them right now. You invite a lot of them to come speak at the church, come speak at Passion. You've developed a lot of great young men and women in ministry. So what is your advice to them on how to fight against that? Oh, well, I mean, I think it depends. It's a, you know, that's a very general question. And I think the struggles people run into are, are bit by bit. I was with one of the most influential young leaders in the world a few days ago, a few weeks ago who's legitimately famous. I mean, I'm, I'm not famous, but this person is. And this person at a young, young age uh, had, had, has more maturity and discernment than most guys my age do. And so it's not, I don't think you can take it like as a general thing. It really depends on what we were talking about before. And that's your relationship with God. And what that relationship, what kind of fruit that relationship is producing in your life. And so I always just point people back to why are you doing this? Why are you in this? What's your motivation? Is there a burning calling on your life? And if so, stay with that calling. Stay close to Jesus. And <clears throat> it's, it's impossible to say in this generation, but, you know, I didn't have Instagram uh, or even a computer when we started our Bible study at Baylor. It was a few years into Choice Bible Study at Baylor University before the desktop computer was even a thing. And so there wasn't a, an easy way to look around and see what everybody else is doing. And honestly, that feeds into the fame and into the name thing more than anything else these days. And 
when you when you're getting likes and comments on something that you post in real time, you know, you can't help but read your own headlines. So I would suggest two things. Number one, uh, get married. Uh, that's always a good start. <laughs> and marry somebody who's smarter than you and brighter than you and better than you, like I did. And if you do and you link up together, two are better than one. Hmm. And two people can help each other navigate fame and pride. Uh, secondly, put men or women around you who love you enough to tell you the truth and who are committed lock, stock and barrel to the gifts God has given you, but also want to see you make it through the long haul and give them permission to speak into your life. And I think if you do those two things and you listen, then you're going to be able to <clears throat> navigate a lot of these pitfalls and going to be able to actually mature into the destiny that God has spoken over your life and sustain that pressure. You know, people want to get into leadership, but they don't understand that leadership is heavy. It looks light, you know, because people are carrying your bags and the car pulled up at the door and, um, you know, you came in the back entrance and blah, 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 blah. But leadership is extremely heavy. The pillow of responsibility only has one head go on it in any given organization at night. And that's the leader's head. And while everyone else sleeps on uh, on their role in the organization, only one person sleeps on the pillow of responsibility. Mm. Like, are we going to make it? Mm. If we don't make it, everybody else has to redo their resume. <laughs> if you don't make it, it's everything you've lived for and breathed and produced now is going down the tubes. And so it's heavy. Leadership is a heavy thing. And I think that... To, to long for it is to misunderstand that. But um, God allows us to carry heavy things when we allow him to carry us. And I've always found that it's not just that God wants me to carry the bowling ball, but I got to realize that Jesus is carrying me and the bowling ball. <laughs> and um, so heavy things are great as long as you have someone bigger than you carrying you and the heavy thing. And I think you just have to have the right people around you, especially in the formative stages where the rocket's taken off um, or else you're going to have your, you know, 20 minutes of, of bright light, but you're probably not going to still be around uh, five years, 10 years later. Louis, I, I greatly appreciate that answer where you could give all these practical tips on how to remain humble and you just come back to spend time with Jesus. Yeah. And yeah, you, you mentioned this earlier where it's easy to look in the mirror and, and say, man, I'm awesome basically. But if we, if, if you're staring and, and starting your day in scripture, um, it says that scripture is a mirror to, to who we are. And it, and it reminds us just what you're saying of who Jesus is and who we really are in light of him. So thank you for that. It's so timely because Chandler was looking in a mirror right before we started yeah. saying, man, I'm so awesome. <laughs> that was you, Josh. It was, oh, my that bad. Was I got you. confused. Yeah, you're Sorry. Confusing I know that. we look similar. Louie, what book do you wish someone gave you when you were just starting to lead? Man, I, um, uh, it'd be a hard one for me to answer. Uh, my pastor did give me a great read uh, when I was called into ministry, and it's a book up by Oswald um, Chambers called So Send I You. And I came back to that book recently. I hadn't read it probably in 35 years, and it was so convicting. I was like, man, this is what I was reading in the two weeks between that dramatic call to ministry and the time that I made it public at church on Sunday night. I was like, man, no, no wonder. I uh, got a good start <laughs> and a good step forward. 
But I don't really know. I don't think there's any book I would say, and I know it's not great for a leadership podcast, but I don't know if there's any book I would say, man, I wish when I was a young leader, somebody had handed me this. I, I mean, we just made fun of it and, or made light of it, not made fun of it, but um, ministry is about some basic essentials. It's about calling and about fire. When Moses stood in front of that bush, the bush continually burned, but it wasn't consumed. I think that was a picture of the the fire of the Spirit of God. And what we need in this generation, and I want to say this carefully because I, I'm reading some good books right now, but what we need in this generation is less uh, Amazon Prime book ordering and more closing the closet door and getting on our face before God. And you don't have to do that anymore. You can just simply look across the lane at the guy in the other church and get all of his good ideas and steal all of what they're doing, mimic that, and probably see some success in your ministry. And, and there's something to be learned, uh, uh, something to be said about learning from other people. But I mean, when's the last time, honestly, that you were around any leader that said, when I was with the Lord last week or when I was alone with a God? When I was in my prayer closet, hmm. God spoke to me. And out of that, I, this is what I really feel like we need to do. And that's where I think the heart of kingdom expansion comes from. It's where courageous ideas are born. It's where vision takes place. It's where people see things that others around them may not see. And so the book I wish somebody had given me was the book of get a prayer closet sooner and get in it more often. And, um, that's, that's where leadership happens. I told this story the other day, but when I was growing up, uh, Charles Stanley was my pastor and Andy Stanley was my best friend. So that was good. Good for me. Oh, that's awesome. I don't know that. Um, <clears throat> that's why we didn't get sent home from summer camp every year at Hilton. Head. <laughs> <laughs> Andy's dad was the pastor. Yeah. Otherwise we're out of there every yeah. single week. We just had to send some kids home from passion camp. Mm. And I was talking to our student leader about it. So well, what happened? And he told me, and he said, they were just being idiots. And I was like, man, that would have been me. <laughs> I would have got sent home from this camp every single year. If it wasn't for the fact that I knew the pastor and his son was my best friend. But the reason I'm saying this is a lot of Fridays, I would end up at Andy's house. So maybe just spend the night on a Friday night, hang out on Saturday. And I remember many, 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 many times, Dr. Stanley would come through the door from work. He would um, put his briefcase down. Uh, he has a shirt and tie on, of course, because in that era, everyone wore a suit and tie to work if you were a pastor. He'd go upstairs, 20 minutes later, he'd come down He'd have on a T-shirt and a pair of khakis. He'd have his Bible, his big Bible, and a yellow legal pad and a jug of water, filtered water. They had that filtered water thing in their kitchen. <laughs> and he would walk out the door into their carport. He would get in, their, in his car, and he would back out the driveway. And I knew he was going to a cabin or something that he uh, had access to north of Atlanta. Sometime about 4.30 Saturday, we'd be in the house doing who knows what. Car would pull up in the driveway. Dr. Stanley would walk through the door. <clears throat> the, the yellow legal pad looked like it had 50 pages of handwritten notes on it. He had his Bible, and the water jug was empty. And I used to just think absolutely nothing of it because I was a teenager. 
But now I'm looking back and I'm realizing that the reason why he became the greatest expository communicator and preacher of my lifetime was that often he went alone to this place with God, opened his Bible, got on his knees, and he wrote whatever the Lord was putting on his heart. And when he came back from that place, he had a word for the people. So that's the leadership book that I wish somebody had given me when I started. And even though that's not a book, let's just pretend that was a book and let's give that book to everyone listening today. That is, that is so convicting. I know uh, Charles Spurgeon, he has a quote, I think it says something like visit many good books, but live in the Bible. Hmm. And kind of what you're saying there is, Hey, books are great. They're, they're supplementary resources to just simply spending time with the Lord and letting him shape your soul. So I know that's convicting for me. Um, and hopefully it's convicting to, to the young leaders listening as well. So moving on, when you first started leading, what was your biggest misconception of what leadership was? Yeah, I think we touched on that a little bit, but just to help clarify again, I think my biggest misconception was that when you're young, you think a leader is being in charge. And everybody wants to be in charge. I mean, we all want to be in charge of something. And so being a leader is like, yeah, I want to do that because I want to be the one that's in charge. But being a leader is not really about being in charge. Being a leader is really about understanding what the organization needs to do and about trying to help people see their role in that grand vision. And that's different than being in charge. Um, and so I think if uh, if you think leadership's about being the boss or being in charge, then it skews your, your ability to understand more of what needs to happen and then to see people not as uh, cogs, if you will, in the wheel of your grand plan, but mm. to see how can you inspire them to do what they're good at to allow to see, allow God to do what God wants to do. Yeah. And so um, people call it servant leadership. I don't know if that's really the best term for it or not. I think the best leaders I know are a little bit insular, all of them. Uh, They're not overly relational, most of them. They're somewhat reclusive because I think the nature of being visionary is uh, born out of isolation in a lot of cases. You read scripture and, you know, most of these great transformational moments, somebody was in the middle of nowhere. Uh, when something powerful happened, you know, Paul was on the road to Damascus. So he was in between places when Jesus found him. Moses on the backside of the desert. Um, I think that that isolation and vision somehow have a symbiotic relationship together. So it's not necessarily being the most popular guy in the office or the most outgoing person of all time but it is still being able to understand and see people and to try to strive to see what their best can be and to give them opportunity and encouragement and feedback to help them move into their very best. And um, so I think for a leader uh, to say, man, it's not about being in charge. It's really about understanding uh, what God wants to do in this moment. 
You know, you mentioned uh, people being cogs in the wheel, and we've heard it several times in this podcast, but people are not a means to an end. People are the end. The team is the end. And so we're not just going to view people on our team as leaders, as cogs in the wheel, but man, we're going to learn to invest, invest in them, give them feedback, support them, encourage them, uh, fan the flame, if you will, to a lot of the strengths that they have and help them work through some of their weaknesses. So I'm really glad you use that terminology. Yeah, but, you know, I think I just want to add really quickly, there's a balance to that as well. And, you know, a leader wants to see uh, things change ultimately. And um, one of the things that changes in life is teams change. Mm. And I remember when we planted our church, this is a dumb example, but we found this old Home Depot Expo design center and it was going to become our church. So we already knew, well, it's going to be four walls and a flat roof with a loading dock. <coughs> excuse me, unless we want to drastically change that. And we couldn't afford to drastically change that. So it was kind of going to be <laughs> a wall and a flat roof and a loading dock. But we decided to paint the building white, make it uber contemporary, polish all the concrete floors and make it look somewhat like an Apple store inside. And some people around in the process hated it. They hated (laughs) white. They hated contemporary. They hated clean lines. They wanted rock and stone and, uh, you know, forest green and taupe and uh, midnight blue. And, you know, their picture of what this building is going to look like was completely different because we all have different tastes. Well, in my mind, I had the common sense to understand because I'm old and I was 50 when we planned the church (laughs) that I'm called to this and I'm going to be here for a while. And so I'm going to make it the way I want it to be. So (laughs) selfish or not selfish, we made the building the way Shelly and I wanted it to be. We also had some teammates who really wanted it to be that way. So we had a good solid core and a nucleus of people who wanted it to be what it is. But then we also had a good solid, you know, handful of people who hated it. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, here we are all these years later, I'm still here (laughs) (laughs) and I still love it. And so you have to lead toward the change. That's a dumb example, but that plays out on every level. You have to lead toward the change you believe God is wanting to make. And everybody has a preference, but preferential leadership is a nightmare. And so you have to go with what you're going to be comfortable with five, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, because news flash to all the leaders out there, you're going to be the only one around five, 10, 15, Mm. 20 years down the road. Yeah. And even though that they are disagreeing in the moment, that is your call. (laughs) Going back to what you said earlier, it's your head that's resting on that pillow. No one else's. That decision is going to be viewed as your decision. Well, you know, we started out with a little core and I mean, I'm not really knocking our core at all, but you know, we, we were only 50 of us, but if you taken a vote to, you know, how we want lots of things to go, you would have gotten three or four solid, good viewpoints. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, there weren't any people around us that didn't have good ideas. We've always been surrounded by people with amazing ideas. And so there would have been four or five incredible ideas on everything we talked about. None right, none wrong, just uh, different ways of doing things. But at the end of the day, you can't do everything four or five different ways. You have to do something a way. So you certainly don't want to be that leader that says it's always going to be my way. Mm-hmm. But you also, if you are a visionary leader, a change leader, 
you also know that at the end of the day, um, a lot of the people who had other great ideas aren't going to be in the mix anymore. And I'm really glad we didn't make, <clears throat> you know, this decision or that decision because those people aren't here now. So you got to go with your gut, but you also have to have people around you who are like, hey, we actually like the direction we're going in. I mean, we don't want to have a building that I love in every other single person. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's not going to work either. Yeah. But you're listening, you're listening to your team. There are those who like it, but it's, it's a healthy disagreement as well. That probably allowed you all to get to that point. And as someone who used to work at an Apple store, I love the Apple <laughs> store look. And I've, I've been down to passion city, got a little bit of a tour and it is a beautiful space. I think you all have done a great job. And so I like it as well. So good job, Louie, for standing your <laughs> yeah. ground. Okay. Yeah. Well, Hey, let's, let's uh, move on to the, the quick hitter questions now. First one is this, is what is your ideal daily routine? So what time do you wake up, get into the office, go to bed, all that good stuff? Yeah, the best part about my life, guys, is I do not have an, a daily routine. I'm not a routine person. Yeah. Um, I like variation, and so there is no average day. My uh, my assistant sitting right next to me right now smiling because <laughs> um, there is no normal uh, I'm in uh, Montana one day, I'm in Sydney, Australia the next day, and I'm home in between. So <clears throat> if I need to, I might sleep till 10 o'clock. If I have a breakfast meeting at 7.30, I'll be there for that, ready to roll. And so I don't have a routine, and I actually honestly like that. Um, I flourish without routine better than uh, with routine, and that's just somehow worked for me and got me to this point of life. So all the non-routine people out there, give me an amen. <laughs> <laughs> They're clapping. They're so listening. happy right now because every other guest has been like, our routine is this every single day and yada, yada, yada. Which I will say that's yeah. helpful to hear because- Listen, Levi Lesko had enough routine for <laughs> yeah. me and him and 40 other people that have been on this podcast. <laughs> that's so good. Uh, However, that routine is going to change for Levi next month because he's a serial routine changer. <laughs> there you go. Hey, so he just does it in a bigger, a bigger scoop than you do. Let's go on to the next question here. What is your favorite personality test? Um, you know, personality test, uh, man, I probably be, I think I'm already understanding. I'm going to be the worst person you've ever had on this program. Um, not at uh, all. I'm a big fan of the Berkman. That's not really a personality test, but it does help you understand who you are and how you function. I think it's the very, very, very best test that I've ever encountered. Um, <clears throat> it's fairly complex and you have to have really good people help you understand it. But we use it here with our team uh, almost exclusively and it has never failed um, one time. I mean, it might take a year or two or three, but at the <laughs> end of the day, it's always going to prove to be pretty spot on for how people do life and interact with other people. So I'm a big fan of the Berkman. Berkman. Okay. So I'll for you, what is, I'm not too familiar with the test. What is it enlightened you about yourself? Well, it let me know that I don't like routine. <laughs> <laughs> Number one. And I'm not a big reader of, uh, and that I don't know what my Enneagram number is. And so I say that now that we're down toward the end of the podcast, probably lose all credibility. But <laughs> for me, even again, everyone now asks me, so what's your Enneagram? And I'm like, I don't know. And they're like, what do you mean you don't know? You can't not know. You can't possibly just not know. Right. And I'm like, well, five years ago, no one knew what their Enneagram was. <laughs> yeah. 
Am I right on that? No, 100%. Oh, you're That's so a trend right. right now, for sure. So am, I, so am I right in saying, and I know that doesn't mean it, you know, 40 years ago, there wasn't a cure for, you know, polio either. So that doesn't mean you don't get the vaccine. <laughs> That's a dumb argument, Louis. <laughs> five years ago, no one on planet Earth knew what their Enneagram was. And we were all like doing life. And so <laughs> I, I don't know how I managed to make it all the way that way. <laughs> all of a sudden, I'm not relevant because I don't know my Enneagram. Come on, people. I figured five years from now, there's going to be a new thing and a new book and a new deal. So I'm skipping over this one and I'm waiting for the next one. Um, and I'm asking people off the record cause it's against the law to tell someone else their Enneagram number. <laughs> yes, you can't. Yeah. You can. The record like Annie Downs to tell me when we're not on what they think I am. And I'm trying to learn from that. So, well, in five years, we'll have you back on the podcast and we'll talk about the new personality test with whatever it's <laughs> okay, going to be. Do it. I'll be ready. That's right. so good. Well, what is an unusual habit that helps you in your leadership? I don't know if it's an unusual habit, but I always talk about this with young leaders. I was talking to some young uh, leaders yesterday, and <clears throat> I think it's creating space to think. You know, the un, uh, undervalued component of leadership for me is thinking. Um, and people don't think. We react. We open our email. We open our text, our Instagram and the next meeting we have, and we just react. Hmm. And good leaders are not reactionary. Uh, they're proactive, and proactive is a result of thinking. So I try to create significant space on a weekly basis um, to sit with myself in a blank piece of paper with no agenda. So I'm not here to write a talk. <clears throat> I'm not here to come up with an outline for a team meeting. I'm not here to pre-plan my meeting schedule. I'm not here to set up a good to-do list. I have a blank piece of paper in an hour and I'm going to think. And so I would encourage people uh, to develop thinking skills and uh, out of good thinking, comes to two or three key ideas that we want to focus on and moving our organization and our lives personally forward. That's really good. Critical thinking can create critically good ideas. And I, I, I've seen that a lot on my team. We have a lot of great thinkers on our team and it's really undervalued. Um, last question, Lou, for you. Um, last quick hitter. What one sentence advice would you give someone going into a leadership position for the first time? Um, I would encourage them to find a space in their world, some tangible spot. If they don't have a prayer closet, uh, create an Ebenezer somewhere. And to go there consistently, whether it's once a week or a few times a week, and to either have a rock or a stone or something of remembrance. I have, uh, I have a stone from the Valley of Allah in a very significant place uh, for me. And I would encourage a young leader to create such a place with some sort of visible reminder that God is great and to go to that place consistently, regularly, and to pause and to remember, to breathe in the air that God is great, that I am not, hmm. but I know I am. It's a catchphrase from a book I wrote a long time ago, but it is life and breath to understand when you're making decisions, have responsibility, 
um, are deciding things on a daily basis that affect a lot of people that God is great and I am not great. Uh, I am loved by a great God. I am valuable to a great God. I am called by a great God, but I am not great, but I'm serving a God who is. And I think if we can continually stay at that place, it gives us everything we need to courageously and humbly lead. And that's what we're looking for is confident humility. And it comes out of that place of having a constant awareness of how great our God is. That's so good, Louie. So good. Well, thank you for joining us on the podcast today and sharing about your leadership journey and your time as a young leader. And thank you for listening today. We hope this has been helpful to you and your leadership. And if it has been, please go over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review to help other leaders like yourself find the podcast. Thanks for joining us, Louie. So great being with you guys. Take it easy, guys. We'll see you later.